tonight I keep being struck by the beauty of this summer's evening. Um, It's always hard to know if it's just my perception or if it really is such a soft, gentle evening. I found myself in just feeling the effect of that on my mind. There was just a relaxing and a trusting. And then that was followed by, oh, I hope the yogis feel that too. (laughs) I'd like to share a teaching with you that comes from Robert Aitken Roshi. He's a Zen master. uh, And he once said, when you reflect on the infinite number of happenstances that coalesce to produce you, then you understand how unique, how precious, how sacred you really are. Your task is to cultivate that precious, sacred nature and help it to flower. When I heard that teaching, it resonated with something of what I experienced the practice to be, the journey of awakening. That it's this nourishment of a precious, sacred nature and helping it to flower. To me, this too speaks about the capacity to trust, to let things unfold of their own accord, and to simply provide the nutriment for this to happen. It's a beautiful image, and yet when we sit down on the cushion, we might have quite another experience. Even though we've come seeking you know, some form of peace, understanding, a quietening, probably, of this monkey mind that can drive us crazy. And when we sit down, rather than the peace, calmness, tranquility, we may think that we've taken a wrong turn. We've ended up at the garbage dump. You know that there is so much going on, and it's so volatile that you know we we can really doubt our practice think it's or think it's not the right practice i did that you know when i was really getting into vipassana meditation and um at some point you know just discovered all this suffering that i didn't realize was really there and uh, you know i just thought wow <laughs> this must be the wrong practice you know <laughs> something wrong here and yet we're just uncovering layers of held tension, emotions we've, we've compartmentalized the mind from feeling. You know, that it doesn't feel safe to touch into rage, aversion, anger, uh, frustration. And so we just keep them at bay. You know, we keep denying, suppressing, dodging. And, you know, it really isn't a way of life that will lead to deepening peace. So when we come to practice, it's not uncommon that this comes up. 
and the picture's not so pretty. Trungpa Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher, he once described the practice from the perspective of the egoist point of view as one insult after another. And it will often feel that way. You know, it's like, it's, it, I think it's a great practice. We really learn humility by sitting with this mind. Um, we can replay a lot of things in the past that we did that caused harm, whether it's to ourselves or others. And, you know, it just comes in so many forms, this insult after insult. And so one of the great teachings we discover as we practice one of the great qualities that begins to mature is the quality of patience. And this is what I'd like to speak about tonight. I know Annie mentioned it the other morning in a morning reflection. And I'd like to just continue on with that because it is such an important quality to call forth in our minds. Because without this quality of patience, we can't sit here. We won't be able to. You know, there's just so much agitation, turmoil, uh, frustration, that we just give up. But with patience, we can find that whatever arises, we can learn to bear witness to, to be with to soften in the face of difficulty rather than contracting and tightening. I've heard from many Buddhist teachers the saying that the road to Nibbana is paved with patience. And we really come to see how that is true as we practice. So this quality of patience, in Pali, the word is kanti. And it has, as many Pali words do, kind of a broader context than just this direct translation as patience. You know, it can often be uh, directly translated as patience or forbearance. But kanti has overtones of love, Compassion, forgiveness, tolerance, acceptance, and receptivity. It can even include gentleness and has with it the suggestion of humility, the wise humility that is not broken. with the overtones of loving-kindness, we find there's a capacity to be inclusive, not to be fragmenting. So when challenges arise, it's making friends with these challenges. 
we don't just move into disconnecting or dissociating from that which is unpleasant. We find with compassion, it really gives a power to patience where it can know this is suffering and it's not broken by it. With tolerance, this tolerance is not the <clears throat> trying to willfully stay steady or push oneself through something or you know, just that clenching of the fists. The tolerance is open-hearted. It allows the mind to be steady with even very difficult mind states. The acceptance comes from this capacity to not resist what is, even though it doesn't meet our preferences, what we'd like to have happening. We stop resisting the way things are unfolding. Gentleness. This is the kindness of patience. And when we really get in touch with patience in our own experience, we feel its kindness. It's like a soothing balm on that which seems unbearable. Because at times things do seem unbearable. And yet, if it's held in this field of patience, it it's a, has a calming effect. Patience is said to be the highest virtue, and yet the learning of it is often very difficult. In my own practice, I've noticed that many times when I don't know what the lesson is here, you know, it's like, Ugh, what's, you know, what's happening? What's going on? What's to be learned? I see that what is being learned is patience. I was, um, not so long ago, in a medical clinic, and it was fully exhibited to me how difficult the learning of patience is. There was um, a mother and her two sons sitting across from me. And at one point, one of the little boys, they were about, I think they were about six and eight, something like that. One of the, the youngest boy got really upset and, you know, where's the doctor? And the mother looked at her watch and said, you know, it's just three minutes past our appointment time. Sometimes doctors run a bit, little bit late. And this little boy must... Oh, and the mother also said, you know, this is where we can practice patience. And then the little boy sitting there screamed out, I don't have any virtue. I don't have any patience. (laughs) 
and I suspect sometimes we might feel the same. <laughs> At least I have. <laughs> you know? But really, one of the ways we begin to find patience is through the recognition of impatience. Recognition of what's happening in the mind when impatience is there. You know, when there's some form of demand, something we want and we're not getting, so there's impatience, some expectation. You know, we find this so much in our practice where we come with any kind of expectation of what our retreat will be like, how it will unfold, it doesn't meet that, and then impatience. I think Annie mentioned about, you know, the progress, we have ideas around progress in practice. And if we're not on target, we're not moving succinctly through the stages of insight, we get impatient when we think our concentration should be deepening in, a, in certain ways, and it's not, we get impatient. Uh, just in a day, noticing all of the different ways that impatience can come up here. And so, you know, it can be about ourselves. We get impatient with all of these things. We get impatient when a mind state arises that we thought we were finished with. And here it is again, you know, and we're just impatient. We should be over this by now. Or we get impatient with people around us. You know, someone's loud as they walk into the meditation hall. We're getting really impatient, sitting, waiting for an interview. There's impatience. Um, Walking with someone walking slower in front of us. Going through the food line. You know, there's just so many little ways that impatience will arise. And just recognizing it. Sometimes it's really blatant. You know, we can feel that frustration, can feel that agitation. Sometimes it's really subtle. You know, just a leaning forward in the practice can be driven by impatience, wanting to get something. When we pay attention to impatience, we really begin to feel the poison of it when it's identified with, when it's not recognized, when we feed it. And, you know, we, we all know um, from our lives that when we act out of impatience, immense harm can happen. You know, just ask somebody who's behind bars in their life, because there was a moment where out of impatience they seriously caused harm to another. When impatience is strong, in just a split second, the directions of our lives can change when we act on it. So it's really something to pay attention to. And until we are fully liberated 
there is going to be moments where there's confusion, where we don't see clearly, where we don't act in the wisest way. And in that way, patience comes in by not being brutal on ourselves there, which is our common tendency, to be really harsh, vicious. But patience will allow us to see confusion and not beat ourselves up for it. To see anger and not just recoil, distance, or identify with, lash out, act. Because it has within it this quality of acceptance. When patience is present, we don't give the power to the forces of anger, rage, despair. But it helps us to stay in alignment with our hearts, with truth. Even though we don't have full understanding in these moments. This has helped when we can see things in a broader context than being caught, a moment of being caught in anger or aversion, a moment of being caught in frustration. We have this capacity to know that there's a reason why we're allowing this mind state to be present, to be heard, to be felt, so that it can be understood. That, you know, we are not being with this mind state to perpetuate the suffering of it, but to know it in its nature, to know it as it is. To find the freedom that isn't bound by these fleeting experiences that we so often call self. So it's when we face difficulties in our practice, rather than just focusing on the difficulty, it's the sense of focusing on the, I mean, tightening around the difficulty. It's rather the backing up, giving it space, not defining ourselves by that momentary experience. Recognizing this is challenging, but also remembering that where these challenges are, where our hearts are bound, is the place where freedom can be found, when there is understanding. And we know we can't force this. We can't push it. We just need to be steady. Sometimes on a retreat, we find that 
things, experiences get blown up in great proportion. We get what's called yogi mind, where little incidences cause big reactions. And this can be helpful from the perspective of patients because this becomes a great place to work with patients where, you know, to, with the, you know, the strength with which things arise, we begin to see the power of our habits of mind and recognizing that That's another way in which a conceptual idea gives some context to that there is still fertile grounds for learning here. We don't need to, again, abandon our hearts because we don't like the experience, because it seems so strong, overwhelming. I remember one time being on retreat and I accidentally killed an ant. And in the midst of the retreat, I was devastated, mortified, so ashamed of what had happened. It was this huge event, and no doubt for the ant, it was a huge event. was unintentional. It was an accident. But my mind kept obsessing. But with patience, it became the opportunity looking into this obsessive mind, having that capacity to keep staying with that experience and to see what was underneath it, what was there that wasn't being felt. No one understood It becomes very simple that if we have no patience, we will suffer. We'll we'll see that as we practice. Just noticing when at times you feel like the suffering is so strong. Is there some aspect of impatience there? Sometimes it may purely be a mind state that's being seen. But sometimes it is fed through this impatience. When we pay attention to the impatience, we will also begin to see what strengthens it, what's like fanning the flames of it, makes it stronger when we buy into thoughts related to the impatience. And, you know, certainly this is one we see when we have our little progress reports throughout the day, you know, where we keep monitoring our progress. Just feel the implication of that. Something that I found very helpful was to and at beginnings of a sitting is a good time to do it. Beginning of a day, beginning of a sitting, beginning of a walking period, beginning of eating. You know, to really set the intention to be mindful, 
to be present, to the, do the best that we can in our practice. But once we've set that intention, letting it go, letting the practice unfold. Because if we keep checking to see how we're doing, this only agitates the mind, feeds the impermanence, and grows into frustration. Really, just learning to do the practice wholeheartedly as best we can, and then letting that be enough. something that's helpful to that is just the recognition of the joy and delight of being on the path rather than being obsessed by a goal. This to me is, I don't know, there just comes so much ease from it, from just knowing that There is this wholesome aspiration, this wholesome desire to awaken and that I have no control over the timing of that, have no control over the conditions of that. All I can do is in this moment turn up as best I can. One of my teachers, Sayadaw Ujjanika, once said, let the Dhamma reveal itself. And we let it unfold. We just keep seeing to whatever degree we do. It's not always crystal clear. However it is, just keep looking, being with, opening to. Let it unfold. if we can take joy and delight in simply being on the path, it helps us in all those moments where we've been lost, dreaming, fantasizing, and then have a moment of remembering, coming back. Then it's not this huge stream of judgment that we've been lost, but joy in remembering that this moment of mindfulness is being on the path. I'd like to share something that Albert Einstein once said when he was asked about his creativity in research. He said, Research may take many years of groping in the dark. Hence, the ability to hold on to a problem for a long time and not be destroyed by it. Failure is necessary for any serious research. We need to have the right attitude towards our failures, that if we learn from them, 
by way of scientific research, it's not a failure. It gives us data, information, which can grow into wisdom. And patience is that quality, that ability to hold on to a problem, not meaning grasping, but you know, when things are difficult, that, that willingness to hang in, to stay steadfast, to continue to look, then we're not destroyed by what may have seemed like a failure. We learn. So when we notice impatience, paying a really close attention to what's happening. What's the texture that's in the mind? What are the thoughts that feed it? That willingness, there's aversion to feel that, to let it be there, rather than moving into blaming the other for our aversion. And just seeing, does impatience help? Is it useful? Who suffers when impatience is there? When we really pay attention to impatience, the desire to feed it simply drops away. I've noticed so many times in my own practice where, in my life, you know, whether it's sitting in a traffic jam, whether it's wanting to get somewhere quickly, but just seeing this aspect of rushing or grasping, leaning, you know, leaning forward, just a sense of noticing it and relaxing. Sometimes, I don't it maybe might happen here during the, um, the Friday afternoon sessions where people gather together to discuss their practice. You might get a sense of impatience. Someone's speaking, and you, maybe they're speaking slowly. You want them to speak faster, or you want them to be finished. But you're just watching in your mind that impatience and in the recognition, just relaxing right there, the knowing of impatience. And you know, not to make yourself bad or wrong that it's there, because this is how we will really begin to feel, to know, to understand. Looking right in that moment, what's the nature of impatience? Stay connected. It can give a sense of listening rather than that dismissal that impatience has. When we turn impatience to patience, it's really a relinquishment of the reactivity in the mind. It's a relinquishment of suffering. It's a relinquishment of our resistance to experience. And this doesn't move us into being really passive or non-responsive. It's just that sense of giving space to so that the voice of wisdom can come through. 
patience is the antidote to anger. It's said of patience that when it's developed, it is the unimpeded quality for the good in the development of all the noble qualities. And it dispels anger, which is its opposite, without residue. Actually, when I first read that, it was the words without residue that really struck me. You know, to have no residue of anger stemming from this patience. You know, and as patience in the face of our anger, our rage, anger simply breeds anger. You know, we see that in our lives so often. Somebody gets mad and dumps their anger on us. We turn around and dump anger on somebody else, and it just becomes this, you know, wildfire in no time at all. And it's this, you know, within our own minds where we have a moment of anger, and if it's not recognized, we really see how it starts to color everything we look at. And it just has this dominoes effect. But when we recognize it, it's like we don't fuel it, we don't fan it. The buck stops here. And this becomes very empowering because it's not festering, breeding. The Buddha made the distinction that we can only know whether there is patience in difficult circumstances. It can be easy when things are going uh, well to have the image of oneself as being a patient person. But just notice it when somebody says something maybe about you that's not true. I know that's certainly a place where my buttons can get pushed. Um, When things aren't going the way we want them to, is there still this quality of patience? Or is it the opportunity to learn patience? I'm trying to see if I can read this or not. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't bring any glasses. Maybe I'll have to summarize it from what I remember. (laughs) We have a pair of glasses in the back. That would be great. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I keep forgetting that aging is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Oh, yes, much better. I have been inspired by many Tibetan people, in particular, because many stories have come out of Tibetans who had lived in captivity, you know, were uh, in prisons, uh, Chinese prisons, and tortured, and um, were able to practice. I think that's the biggest thing that they were able to practice and not feed these fire of anger, resentment, 
uh, you know, in, under immensely difficult circumstances. And last year I met a Rinpoche. His name was Yantang Rinpoche. He was imprisoned for 22 years and tortured. Uh, but he was a true practitioner, not only a practitioner, but a teacher. He used to secretly give teachings to other prisoners by whispering into their ear at night. Uh, that must have been quite amazing for those beings. And you know, he was said to be of great benefit to many people and many of those who died, but they died more peacefully as a result of his inspiration, the teachings he'd given, and um, you know, were able to, in a sense, stay true to their hearts, stay true to the truth. And he experienced torture himself, um, but he didn't let his spirits be broken by this. Uh, he had no resentment towards his captors and only felt compassion And he also actually became a spiritual advisor to some of his guards around him. He said that the experience overall helped him to purify subtle residual traces of pride and anger. That to me is totally amazing that he could really just work with whatever traces were there from pride and anger. And then when people would express sympathy about his imprisonment, Rinpoche would say that because of the Dharma, his mind had more freedom in prison than he may have experienced in a worldly life in the best of circumstances. in our lives. Not that we want to go look for difficult circumstances. They come. But when we're faced with them, we can really practice here. Our tendency can be to abandon the practice in those moments. And yet that's really where we can learn deeply. And it's you know, not just on a superficial level of having some quiet, peaceful, nice, concentrated state. But it's really where we're looking into the depths of suffering. I'd like to share um, a story from one of the suttas. And it, to me, is just a way where we can really see the power of patience when we have it and how it can help those who are in anguish. And this was where um, the Buddha was approached by a man who was very angry, calling him names, and trying to rile up the Buddha through harsh words. And in my mind, I glorify the Buddha. Nobody would say a bad thing to him. But he got all kinds of stuff coming at him. And so this is just a story of how he dealt with it. 
in, at one time. So the Buddha listened to this man. He heard him out. So this man who's just being really rude, harsh, challenging the Buddha, really trying to rile him up. And so he heard him out, and then at the end of it, he asked the man a question. He asked the man if people ever came to visit him in his own home. The man was quite surprised by, you know, this question, and so he just simply answered yes. And then the Buddha asked if he ever offered to feed his guests. And the man responded again, yes. And then the Buddha asked, what would happen if the guests refused to accept the food? Who would the food belong to then? And the man responded by saying, of course, it would still belong to him. The Buddha then very calmly and kindly said, in the same way, I do not accept your insults. They remain with you. I hope I can remember that sometimes when the abuse is coming my way. But, you know, patience is there in just allowing somebody else to have their own process, to not get caught up in the judging them, to just this acceptance and tolerance of something that may be unpleasant. And then the strength of that being, it mirrors back to the other person something. Probably when we've met people whom are patient in our lives, when we may have been suffering, impatient, demanding, sometimes mothers, (laughs) fathers, being a parent, um, it's a place where we learn a lot of patience. And, you know, if, if there was a time when we were really struggling and someone had patience with us, it speaks so loudly so clearly. It is such a strong quality of mind and heart to have. There is skillful means that can be helpful in the learning of patience. Because when impatience is strong and we're caught caught in some of these difficult mind states, sometimes the recognition will be enough. Sometimes simple awareness will be enough. The seeing of it, it lets go. But sometimes... It doesn't seem to. And the tendency to, to abandon practice in that moment can be strong. We may have to, in those moments, look to how we can allow what's difficult, frustrating, driving the impatience 
to be there. What, how we can support the mind in that. It may be by recognizing it and then turning towards just the knowing mind, which is cool, clear, tranquil in itself. It just simply knows the experience. If that's not strong enough, we may have to alternate between whatever the difficulty is and something more neutral. If we find that there's this intense agitation, noticing the agitation, and then maybe noticing hearing for a moment, where the mind is not so challenged. It's hard to just stay in the grips of that challenge all the time. So finding a way to bring a little bit of stability there. Sometimes we may need to direct the attention somewhere else because it's just too overwhelming in this moment. Mindfulness isn't strong enough. Patience has the honesty to recognize that. It's not trying to be the Amazon practitioner and bear whatever comes along. It's a recognizing this is too much right now and seeing where one can turn the attention, where one can still be present, where one isn't swept away by the experience. It could be as simple as getting up from a sitting and walking, walking outside on the, you know, evening like tonight where you feel have a sense of nature holding you. So there's a way of inviting that calming, cooling effect. This is where the patience allows the gentleness, the softness, It's not demanding of you that you be a certain way. It allows us to bring a caring attention. I came across a quote from a poet, uh, John Sicardi, who I'm not so familiar with. Apparently he was a poet from Boston. But this line spoke very clearly, or to me, directly about practice and patience. Patience is the art of caring slowly. When things go slowly, a caring attention. Hold the process gently. We may not know where the process is going, because there is this times of confusion but it's okay. We're on the journey. We're on the path. And through this, we develop a great inner strength, a great inner resource that really helps us be with that which seems unbearable. It helps compassion to strengthen, to be able to be with others in their suffering. It helps tolerance. It helps us to allow people to be different. 
So in our practice, calling forth this quality of patience. Just that sense of, sometimes the word patience might seem too big, but just the invitation for gentleness, softness, acceptance, receptivity, loving kindness, humility. Staying as steady as we can when things are rocky, when there's upheaval. Just knowing our part to bear witness, to see. Ajahn Buddhadasa once said, there's one helpful inscription to have on a medallion around your neck. It would be, this is the way it is. When we're feeling impatience, remembering this, this is the way it is. The proximate cause of patience, the arising of patience, is seeing things as they are. I had a very strong lesson around desire once when, you know, it was just, it helped me to cultivate patience in the seeing of the tenacity or the strength of desire in its arising. I was on a retreat and... um, it was a three-month retreat. And during the course of that retreat, there was often ice cream placed, it was over at the retreat center, ice cream placed on, on the back table. And it was happening that during that retreat, for whatever reasons, I got into moving slowly. Not to put that out as the way you have to practice, but it was just what was happening for me on that retreat. So moving very slowly. By the time I would finish my meal, the ice cream ice cream would inevitably be gone. (laughs) And so um, it was the last few days of the retreat. Ice cream got put out. I saw it there as I got my food. The thought was, today I'm going to eat quicker and I'm going to get some ice cream. And as I was sitting down to eat my food and I kept remembering this ice cream and it was just like feeling this force of desire every time it would come up and you know start to eat faster and then all of a sudden I just saw how strong this desire was and it was like whoa my goodness and just in the scene of that there came patience you know, earlier in my practice, when I first started practicing, I really expected that, you know, if anger came along, noted it once, it should be done with, gone. You know, but then just seeing the strength of this force brought patience. And recognizing that, you know, the habits that we have have been around a long time. We fed habits of greed, hatred, delusion. Unknowingly. You know, not to, to be harsh on ourselves, but out of ignorance, we kept feeding these habits. They have a lot of momentum. So 
it isn't going to be that we simply see something once and it's finished. It would be nice. (laughs) But it changes, you know, the seeing of something once. It helps to diminish. It's it helps to even just break that force. You know, when I saw that force of desire, it would broke the momentum. When I really let myself feel that. Pull. Oh. It doesn't mean it never arose again. I still eat ice cream. <laughs> but it really shifted. And this is what happens. We keep, you know, just staying patient in that process, the scene of being run by, the recognition, the pain of, you know, it's a cycle. But each time, each moment of mindfulness diminishes that habit. You know, it's where we're feeding or strengthening the wholesome rather than feeding the unwholesome. Patience gives way to trust, to being able to yield to the way of things. You know, that we're not asserting our will, our demands, but yielding to the unfolding. I'd like to close tonight with a quote from Rainer Rilke. must have been breathing heavy though glasses are fucked up (laughs) I would like to beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves as, as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you wouldn't be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. Let's just sit for a moment. May all beings discover this quality of patience and develop it, cultivate it to guide all beings to complete realizations.